episode of Sleep and Relax ASMR. I wanted to take a moment uh, and say thank you for tuning in and listening to the podcast. I also wanted to mention that we just launched our website, which is sleepandrelaxasmr.com, just all spelled out. Uh, The website has all of our show episodes, news, and announcements, and it also has information for brands that are interested in sponsoring the show. But uh, most importantly, the website will make it easier to connect with you guys. Um, And I would love to get in touch with as many fans as possible. So I invite you guys to check out sleepandrelaxasmr.com. It's all spelled out. If you're confused about the spelling, just check out the show notes uh, and there will be a direct link. But that's all for now. Thanks again for tuning in and enjoy the episode. said. Oh no, not 
not so bad as that. Then I suppose he was started Bolter. Wanted, said Fagan. Yes, he was wanted by the police. What for? inquired Mr. Bolter. He was charged with trying to pick a pocket. They found a silver tobacco box on him. His own, my dear, his own. Fagan's face looked as though he were in pain. And now, Mr. Bolter, I have a job for you. Bolter's first job was to go to court and find out what was going to happen to this best worker, Jack Dawkins, the artful dodger. Jack Dawkins shuffled into the courtroom. Taking his place in front of the judge, he asked why he was there. sleeping potion. 
Does he wake up before you get back? inquired the gentleman. No, he does not know what I'm doing. No one knows where I am. Good. Now, Rose has told me your troubles, and I believe your story, he said. Our plans are... Our plans are to track down this man, monks, and find out what he knows. But if he cannot be found, you must lead us to that old man whom Bill Sykes and the others work for. Fagin, cried the girl, I will not do it. I will never do it. Tell me why, said the gentleman. He has led a bad life, but I have led a bad life too. There are many of us who have done the same things together. They have never turned against me, and I can never tell on them. said the old gentleman quickly. Let me take care of things. Tell me how I can find this man, Monks, and I will deal with him. What if he turns against the others? I promise you, we will protect your friends, but we have to find out what Monks looks like. He is tall, said the girl, and he looks strong, but he is thin. He wears a black coat and hat and tries to hide his face. He has a, sl a slinking walk and is always looking over his shoulder. Nancy shuddered. They are sunken deep in his, in his pale face. He is a young man with dark hair, but he looks old. You'll know him by his very twisted mouth, and he often bites his... <clears throat> he often bites his lips, for you see, he has fits. Here, the gentleman and Rose became startled. One more thing, added Nancy. Upon his throat just hidden behind his handkerchief. There is a, a broad red scar like a burn, asked the gentleman. You know him? The young lady let out a cry of surprise. I think I do, said the gentleman. Now, what can I do to help you? Nothing, replied Nancy. I am trapped in my own life. I've gone too far to turn back. Take this purse, insist, insisted Rose. I will take no money. But I would like to have something that belonged to you, sweet lady. A keepsake, perhaps. Rose handed her a silk handkerchief. Nancy looked into the girl's face. Bless you. Good night. The three figures left the bridge. Noah Claypole, Mr. Bolter, that is, turned and ran for Fagin's house as fast as his bolting legs would carry him. Chapter 17 Murder Early the next morning, Fagin sat huddled over a cold fireplace. He was boiling with anger. Noah had told him about Nancy's secret meeting. He could not wait to give Bill Sykes every detail. The doorbell rang. It was Sykes, carrying a bundle of stolen goods. Come in, Sykes, said Fagin. This man has something to tell you. sleeping in the corner. Wake up, Bolter. Tell your tale again about Nancy. You followed her. Noah rubbed his sleepy eyes. Bill's eyes were filled with fire. Yes, said Noah slowly. You followed her to London Bridge. Yes, 
where she met two people. Yes, she met a gentleman and a lady who asked her to tell about her friends. They wanted to know about monks, too. She told them everything they wanted to know, Noah said. She did, did she? cried Fagin, crazy with anger. What did she say about Sykes? She said she put a sleeping potion in his drink so she could get away from him and get out, get outside. Sykes had a wild, hateful look in his eyes. Rushing past Fagin, he ran from the room. He went straight to his own door. He opened it softly and went over to the bed where Nancy was lying. She raced up with a frightened, shocked look. Get up, said Sykes. Bill, said the girl in a scared little voice. Why do you look like that at me? Bill, tell me what I've done. You know, hissed the robber. You were followed and watched. Every word you said was heard. Then spare my life for the love of heaven. As I sped, spared yours, begged the girl, clinging to him. I never gave you away, Bill. Sykes cut one arm free and grabbed his pistol. As poor Nancy looked up at him, he hit her head twice with a pistol as hard as he could. Nancy staggered and fell. She drew from her pocket a white silk handkerchief, the one Rose Maley had given her. She held it up in her folded hands as high toward heaven as her strength would allow. Then Nancy breathed one prayer for mercy. <clears throat> Sykes, swaying back and forth like a wild animal, reached for a heavy club and brought it down hard. The girl fell to the floor and did not move. Sykes could see Nancy's eyes and thought they were watching him. Sadly, he was wrong. Poor Nancy's eyes could see nothing. She was dead. Bill had murdered the only person who had ever cared about him. He turned away from the bleeding body, making sure no one had seen or heard anything. He whistled for the dog and quickly left. But as he left and as he left the city behind him, Sykes felt a fear begin to creep over him. He thought of those empty glass eyes he had just left.
reason am I kidnapped in the street and held here? Asked Monks. This is strange treatment, sir, he said, throwing down his hat and cloak from my father's oldest friend. It is because of my friendship with your father, said Mr. Brownlow, that you are not being treated much worse. Edward Leaford. Yes, I know your real name. I loved your father's sister and would have married her many years ago if she had not died. Your father and I cried together, and I never forgot him. It is just as well, Mr. Monks, that you call yourself by another name, for you do not deserve to have your father's name. This is all fine, sneered Monks, but what do you want with me? You have a brother, a brother, said Mr. Brownlow. I have no brother, replied Monks. You know that as well as I. What I do know is that you are the child of a bad marriage. Your father, my closest friend, was forced by his family to marry your mother. It was just a business deal. He was never happy, and it tore his heart until he could take no more. My parents split up, said Monks. So what? Your father found a chance for happiness. He moved to the country where he became friends with a naval officer, a Mr. Fleming by name. Mr. Fleming's wife had died and left him with two daughters. One was a beautiful girl of 19, and the other just a very young child. Your father and the oldest daughter fell in love and were engaged to be married. What's all this mean to me? Get to the point, said Monks. Just before his wedding, a rich relative in Rome died and left your father a large amount of... amount of money and property. He had to go to Italy to settle that business. Your mother heard all about this and went to Italy to find your father, taking you with her. She was a greedy, mean woman and was after any money she thought she might be able to get. Your father was sick when, he, when she arrived. He mysteriously died the next day. No legal will was found, so all of his money and property went to you and your mother. Monks said nothing. However, before he left for Italy, your father came to see me, said Mr. Brownlow slowly. I never heard of that, said Monks, looking a bit worried. He left me a picture of the young woman he loved, which he himself had painted. He also told me that he planned to settle his affairs by giving your mother a, a part of his new fortune. Then he was retur to return to Italy. From Italy, excuse me. He was to return from Italy to marry the woman he loved. Of course, I never saw my good friend again. He never came back from Italy. I looked for the young lady whose face was in the painting. I wanted to help her in any way I could, but her whole family had moved away, and I never found her. sat back with a smile, looking much calmer. Pulling near to Monk's chair, Mr. Brownlow continued, I am the one who saved your little brother from a life of misery and crime. I took him into my home and gave the poor child the first good food and care he had ever been given. Of course, I had no idea who he truly was at that time. But while he was with me, I saw how much he looked like the young lady in the picture my friend had painted. I also noticed that he looked a great deal like my friend, 
Mr. Leaford, your father. Monks began to squirm. His face became more twisted. Brownlow went on speaking. After your wicked friends stole Oliver from me, I could not help thinking how Oliver looked like that picture. I began to hunt you down to find the answers I wanted about your father. I went all the way to the West Indies, where I knew you had gone after your mother died. sleepandrelaxasmr.com That's all for now. Thanks as always for listening and take care.